Hey, welcome. My name is Garrett. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at River Glen. We're so glad you're hanging with us this weekend. Want to give a shout out uh, to our Pewaukee fam on the other side of the camera or wherever you are joining us on our online campus. We're one church in many locations. So we're so glad that you've joined us this weekend. We are continuing week two in a series that we've called Slay the Monster. We want to slay the monster of financial stress and anxiety. And we got an opportunity to do that in community. We've got a group launching in just a couple weeks called Financial Peace University. And this is a great way, a great opportunity for you to come alongside other people and tackle the money monster, as we call it, and, and go after the anxiety and stress that comes with money in a group, in a community, and, in, and be able to embrace a life of financial peace. So we would love to get you connected to that. You can go to our website, or you can ask your online host, or you can just head out to the Connect Wall after service. This week, I want to slay the monster by embracing a life of contentment. Slaying the monster by embracing a life of contentment. Because if we're honest, we all are driven by money. To some degree, whether we like to admit it or not, right, we are driven by the need or the idea that we need more, right? All of the ads, the social media things that pop up, the commercials, the billboards, it's all telling us that we need more. And we're driven by money. I learned this at a very early age. Let me paint the picture for you. It's the bottom of the sixth inning, Mission Trails Little League. I'm playing left bench for the Mets that year, and I'm leading off the inning. And so I put my gloves on, strap up my Mizuno cleats, my helmet, take my bat. I head up to the plate. I'm not super focused with the post-game snow cone more on my mind. And I glance over to my dad, who's in the bleachers, and out of the corner of my eye, I see him do this. Pulls out a $20 bill, and do that. Kind of look me. Give me the nod, right? See, my dad always said, if you hit a home run, you get 20 bucks. And so now I'm feeling it. Right now I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I've never hit a home run in my life. But I see that $20. I'm like, it's go time. So the first pitch, ball, high and away. Second pitch, at the letters, crushed it over the scoreboard, next to the snack shack. I round the bases. My dad has leapt out of the bleachers. My team is in disbelief. Quite frankly, so am I. And I come home, and the game ends up inning a little bit later, and I find my dad immediately after. And before he could even say, good job, or that was crazy, I say, yo, where's my 20 bucks? Give me that $20. Come on, that's mine, right? The only thing that motivated me, I don't know how it happened. I don't know what came over me. It was the desire for that $20 bill when I was 12, 11 years old. The funny thing is I never hit another home run in my life. That was it. Seriously, that was it. He never showed me another $20. I never hit another home run. That was it. I got my $20. I was driven by that beautiful, crisp $20 bill. And if we're being honest, we, in our culture, we're driven by money. It could be in a good way. It could be in a bad way. It could be $20 for a home run. It could be money for good grades. It could be a raise, and so you work a little bit harder. It could be betting. It could be gambling. It could be just dreaming of what you kind of wish your life could be like, or maybe how you grew up. You so desperately want to get out of that social status or where you grew up financially. So we are all driven by money. We all want more, right? If I asked us, hey, do you want more money, right? I think most of us would say, yeah, sure, I'll take some more. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men to have ever lived, is quoted when he was asked, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit 
more. Just a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. And that's why it's so vital in our world today that we embrace a life of contentment. I came across this quote. It says, contentment is not a place we arrive in the future, but an attitude that we embrace today. Contentment means to be in a state of peace. It is the opposite of longing for or desiring more. It's it's the opposite of striving for more things. It comes from the word contentus, which means contain, satisfaction, right? To contain your satisfaction. So let me ask you, are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied with where your life is at? Are you happy Maybe you would say, yeah, I think so, but oftentimes you find yourself dreaming of what your life would be like if you could just get that thing, if you could just get that much money in the bank, if you could just get that new thing that everybody else has, if you could get those memberships, if you could get to that relational or social status, if you could get that house, whatever it is, we're struggling to find satisfaction. And we're looking for it in all the wrong places. I love how Proverbs 119 puts it. It says, such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. I heard a pastor point out that that word robs can also be used for the word chokes. Greed, the the need for more chokes us. It is choking us. The more we desire, the more we get greedy. Like, I need these things. It is choking. It is robbing us of the joy of truly living. And if I'm being honest with you, this topic is hard for me, right? This is a hard one. I think if we, if we took a poll, all of the staff on staff here, if they all had to vote on a staff shopaholic, I think most fingers would point towards me. I think I'd be accused. I think I'd be the winner of that. And so I, I, when I found out that, hey, this is the topic that I was going to be speaking on, I was like, I got I to gotta challenge myself. And so I, I made up a challenge for the month of February, this last month, uh, and I took to social media, invited some friends to join in, and here were the rules. Number one, no shopping, or right? No shopping for the entire month of February, unless it's like, you know, essentials and things like that, but no clothes, no gadgets, whatever. Uh, the second one, coffee out of the house only once a week. Some of you are like, once a week? Yeah, that's a big deal for me, all right? We're taking steps. It's my, my challenge, not yours, okay? So coffee out once a week. I had to limit myself once a week. The third one was a gratitude journal every day, every morning or night. I had to spend time doing a, a hey, what are you grateful for? What is something that you're grateful for today? List some things. And the fourth thing, was what we called planned spontaneous generosity. Basically setting aside, being intentional about, hey, we want to be generous this month, whether it's buying friends dinner or just gifting to people we see maybe in need. We want to be more intentional, more sensitive to the needs of others around us and give generously. And if I'm being honest, it was hard. It was really hard. There were a couple times I found myself in line at a coffee shop and I was like, I think I was here two days ago. I don't think I'm allowed to be here. I think I'm breaking the rules, right? It was really difficult, but I'm encouraged by what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says this. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to burst some bubbles 
here, this famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not like the eye black verse that you put on for a game that then gives you superpowers, right? I hate to break it to you. That verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is a verse about being content in any situation. Paul is saying, hey, I can thrive. I can ha- have joy. I can have peace. I can be at like peace when I'm in any season. I can endure all seasons. Why? Because he knows where the source of joy comes from. He knows that that true peace, that true joy, true living comes in and through Jesus. And so he's saying, I can do all things. I can go through a good season. I can go through a difficult season because I've embraced a life of contentment. So my question for us today that I want to unpack just for a little bit is, is what would it look like? What does it look like for us to embrace a life of contentment? I want to share with you just a few things that I've learned uh, over the last month or so of really like, wrestling with this concept. So the first one is that contentment focuses on what we need versus what we want. Focuses on what we need versus what we want. My first two challenges, right? No shopping and no coffee, right? To daily ask myself the question, hey, do I need that thing? And that's the invitation for us all, right? At every moment that we go into, every place that we go into, when we wake up, hey, what do I need today? And shift our focus. And here's the thing, it's not wrong to want, or it's not wrong to, to see something like, I want that, so I'm going to go get it, right? There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But how many times do you find yourself saying the word need when maybe, just maybe, it's a want? I need that car. I need that jacket. We need that house. We need those, I need those golf clubs, right? Whatever it is. We need that lifestyle so we can go do that thing. See, oftentimes when we replace the word want with need, we actually disregard those whose lives would be drastically changed by that thing. That for us, it's a want, but for other people, that is a need. That is a huge need, And there's a story in Joshua 7 that I love. It's about this Israelite warrior named Achan. And after leading a siege, he breaks God's one rule to not steal any of the belongings of this people group that they've just, right, taken over. He says, don't take any of their stuff. But this is what it says in Joshua 7, verse 20. Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. I also saw 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them, and they are hidden in the ground beneath my tent. I love this. They're hidden beneath, beneath my tent, but the silver is buried a little bit deeper, right? Like, like, it's all hidden there. You can find it there. Okay, this, the silver is deeper. You're really going to have to dig to find that. Like, I really wanted to keep that one thing. And so Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, and it doesn't stop with what he stole. His sons, his daughters, his cattle, his donkey, his sheep, his goats, his tent, and everything that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. See, greed will get you into trouble. Greed will end up costing you like Achan. It'll end up costing you 
more than what you even took in the first place, more than what you even wanted in the first place. Achan ended up losing far more than what he just took. He ended up losing everything that he actually needed. See, greed prioritizes our wants over our needs. When we're greedy, we actually, we, we, we disregard the truth of who God is. Because when we, we act upon our greed, we're simultaneously saying that, God, I don't think that you're enough. I don't think that you are who you say you are, that when you say you'll take care of me, no, 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 I could take care of myself. I can go get this thing on my own. I could get, I could find something better for my life. But friends, let me encourage you. God is a provider. That's who he is. And so right now, when you look at your life, if, if, if you don't have it, could it be that maybe right now in this season, you don't need it? Because God is taking care of you. God is providing for you daily. And could we lean in to trust that God's got you? That God's got me, that he's going to take care of my needs. He's going to take care of my wants. And so would we ask, what do I need? What do I need? And I think we'll learn that God has got us covered. The second thing contentment does is it focuses on what you have versus what you don't. Focuses on what you have versus what you don't. If greed is the enemy to the first one, I would say comparison is the enemy to the second one. Uh, my wife, Kaylee, and I, we, we just recently moved and we're in a house for the first time. And so there's some new things that come with living in a, in a house, right? You're responsible for the yard and the, the lawn. And, all the, and one thing that is new to my chore list is shoveling snow, right? I'm from California and she's from Tennessee. So these things were never on the chore list when you woke up on a Saturday morning. And so I went out, I, I bought my shovel and I was fully prepared, right? Right before the school wall that got us all. I, I, I got ready and I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. Set my alarm. I, I got up early, my first day shoveling. I was kind of scared, but I was, you know, kind of excited. Not going to lie. I got my little beanie on, you know, I'm all ready. I go outside and I'm doing the thing and I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did pretty good. Okay. I did a pretty good job. I will be honest. A couple neighbors, they did come out after me and they, they did go inside before me. Uh, they were done significantly earlier. Uh, and I was like, where are you guys? Where are you guys? Oh, you're done? Okay, yeah, cool. I'll be there in a minute. No, I just want to work a little, little harder. Um, you guys go ahead, though. I'll be there in a minute. Um, and I look over, though, to the lady across the street, right? I'm in the middle of shoveling, and I'm running into the lines in the, in the driveway. And I'm like, Ugh. And I look over, and, and this lady comes out, and my neighbor, and, and she's got this beautiful snowblower. She comes down the driveway, she goes to the sidewalk, she's like, I got time, I'll do the other guy's sidewalk, right? And she does the whole thing, and then she, she's done. And I'm sitting there like, what is that thing? And I run inside, I'm like, we have to buy this, we need this, I promise you, it's going to change our lives, this snowblower that whoever my neighbor is has, right? That thing is unbelievable, I need this. How often do we find ourselves saying that? seeing what somebody else has and kind of, you know, being like, well, I don't have that. I need that. What they have would change my life. What they have would make me happier. So we focus on what is absent from our lives so much that we begin to miss out on what is already there. 
We focus so much on the thing that we don't have that we miss out on all of the things that God has given us, that God has provided us with. And this has been the struggle for humans since day one. We go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, they're walking around and the snake shows up and this is what the snake says. Did God really say that you must not eat from the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. The serpent said, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. That first question, did God really say that? You know, that's the first question that's ever asked in the Bible. Did God really, did God really say that to you? Did God really say that and since the beginning of time, our culture, our world, the, the devil has been trying to trick you and me that what we have is not enough. That God has not given us everything that we need. That we are missing certain things that will give us joy, that will, that will satisfy us, that will make us feel good, that will make us feel whole. And he's trying to shift their focus. He shifts Eve's focus, right, from the tree, all of the trees that God gave them. He gave them this entire garden. And he shifts the focus from everything God gave to the one thing he said not to go near. How many times do we do that? When we see something we like, when we see something that somebody else has, we get so fixated on the thing that is absent in our lives we disregard all of the things that God has given us, that he's taken care of us. And this trick from the enemy, it's made us jealous. It's made me jealous. It's made me covet what my neighbors have. At times, it's made me embarrassed, maybe ashamed of what I have or what I don't have, what I can or can't afford. And maybe for some of us, it makes us feel like what we have isn't enough or even worse, like we are not enough. That could not be further from the truth. See, this is where gratitude comes in. Gratitude is, is the act of acknowledging the things that we have, the things that we have that give us joy, the things that we have that, that make us happy, the things that we have in our lives. Gratitude focuses, shifts the focus back onto Jesus, who he is, what he's given us, and who we are and what we have in and through him. The third installment for the February challenge was a daily gratitude journal. And there were some times that, that I forgot, some mornings that, you know, I was in a rush and forgot to do the gratitude journal. But every time that I sat down, either at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, to shift my focus, man, it changed the perspective of that day or, or the day that I was going into. If I'm being honest, it's, it's been a hard month. My wife and I, things have been good. They've just been really busy. There's been a lot of things going on. It's like this thing, this thing after the next. But this moment every day to, to reflect on, man, what, what has God been up to in my life? 
What are the things that I have to be grateful for? A lot of the entries were honestly just food that I ate that day, but I was so grateful, right? To change your perspective on the things that God has given you. And this, this, this gratitude, it begins this overflow in our lives. A friend sent me this quote. It says, gratitude drives our humility and humility drives contentment. When we're grateful, it begins to fill us up with joy, then overflow into the lives of others, which leads me to our, our, our third final thing. Contentment focuses on what we can give versus what we can get. Final installment for my wife and I was to plan spontaneous generosity, right? To say, hey, we're going to be more intentional when moments pop up. You know, hey, we can do that. We want to do this, right? And it's something new for us. We're not, you know, we're still trying to figure it out, but it's a discipline. It's a practice. It's something that doesn't come natural. So we're saying, hey, let's be hyper aware. Let's, let's really lean into this and just go for it and try to do more things. Be generous to more people, I want to jump back to Philippians 4 because Paul continues after he says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He goes on, he says this, even so you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. He's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you, set, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all that I need and more. See, Paul's not just content in his circumstances, in his situation and season. He also recognizes that he is where he is because of the generosity and the overflowing gratitude of other people of a different community who said, hey, where we are at, we want to bless you. We want to help you. There's this book that I read in college called Plastic Donuts. And the author sets the stage with a story of his daughter running up to him one morning with a, a plastic donut from her toy kitchen. She hands it to her dad and, and he, he gobbles it up. And he's like, yum, that was so delicious. And his daughter smiles from ear to ear. And then he writes this in the book. He says, for Autumn, his, his daughter, this exercise in giving gifts kept bringing her back to dad. For me, it kept me looking for my child to return to my side. I was moved by the exchange. I loved the interaction and connection. I was so pleased. And at that moment, it occurred to me, this is how our giving must feel from God's perspective. Our gifts are like plastic donuts. God does not need our gifts or our money but like a child's gift that moves her father, our gifts can really get God's attention. Let me set you free of something. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. God doesn't need your money. God could do whatever he already has planned for our world, for our lives. He doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need our talents. He doesn't need our resources. He doesn't need what we have. But he does want a relationship with us. He does want to invite us into partnership with him. That we would say, hey, here's all that I have. It isn't much. But God, I'd like to join you in what you are 
doing. And when we choose generosity, when we choose to let our contentment overflow to bless other people, God smiles. It deepens the relationship. Some of us have a hard time with this. But it deepens our relationship with God because, one, it, it, it forces dependency upon him. To say, God, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm stretching myself financially. I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm implementing a new rhythm, right? It, it stretches us, and it creates dependency that we have to trust that God is going to take care of us. But it also allows us to join in with God and his mission to love the world. And many of us would say, yeah, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I don't need to do that part. I don't need to do that thing. And you're absolutely right. You don't need to do that thing, right, to be in relationship with Jesus. God loves you regardless. He, 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 that's not what, what saves you. That's not what right, earns his love is by whatever you can do for him. That's not what God is saying. But I would challenge us to try that ideology, to try that thought process in our marriage or in our workplace and tell me how it goes. Because when you get in a relationship, right, you don't stop pursuing your spouse. And when you get that job, you don't stop working hard, right? And the same thing goes, right? This isn't to earn anything from God. This is our response to how good God has been. To say, God, you don't need this. But I want to do this because I want to deepen that relationship with you. Because I want to join in. It may not be much. It may be a little bit with what I've got right now and the situation that I'm in. But God, I want to join in with you. See, God showed his example of love in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave. He gave his son. That he sacrificed something. God has been so generous with us. Maybe it's time to start asking, hey God, how would you like to overflow in my life? How can I be generous to others? How can I be generous financially to the mission of Jesus, to, to, to the church, to my neighbors, to my one, to my community, to extend that love, that peace, and that contentment that we have discovered in Jesus? The world is in a, a wild place right now. Many of us are aware of the things that are happening in Ukraine and Russia, and, and we're going to pray in just a minute, but I came across a story of a church in Budapest who said that, hey, we're going to open our doors to any refugees who, who need a place to go right now, who need a place to, to find security and, and find safety and maybe a meal, maybe just some comfort, maybe a friend. The pastor's name is Peter Zabo, and he's quoted saying this, we're a small church. Our capacity to help is limited, perhaps up to a few dozen families. But our greatest hope is not what we can or will do, but what our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, can and will do. See, in a time of tragedy and war, Peter and his church decided not to focus on what they wanted, on what was comfortable for them, on what they could get. But they decided to shift their focus on what they could give, how they could bless others, how they could, could serve their community, how they could join in the mission of Jesus in loving their neighbor. So let me ask you, do you want to fight greed that boils up in your life? 
Do you want to be at, at, at peace with your life, not constantly comparing yourself to others? Do you want to make God smile and join in on his mission to love the world? Do you want to be generous? Do you want to slay the money monster? Are you tired of being driven by money? Friends, contentment is not a place we arrive in the future. It is an attitude that we embrace today. Maybe it's been a struggle lately. Maybe your life, maybe what's going on, maybe your bank account isn't at what, what you kind of would, would like it to be. Maybe your job situation or security isn't what you thought it would be by now. Maybe your family isn't what you've been praying for and dreaming for right now. Can I encourage you that we can be content because God is in control. We can be content because God is in control. So let's go on a journey to, to find joy together. Let's embrace contentment for the sake of the world. Set our eyes on Jesus and embrace the simple gospel that in him, we have everything we need. And because of him who gives us strength, we can do all things. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you all in different situations, financially, socially, relationally. God, we, we come to you understanding the, the burden in our own lives, understanding the pain in our own lives. God, we come to you aware of the pain and difficulty around us in our city, in our state, in our country, and across the ocean, in Ukraine and surrounding places. But God, we know that you are in control. We know that you are the, the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters, who quiets our anxious soul. God, we know that you're the God of peace, that you're the God of justice, that you're the God of mercy. So God, we just pray that your hand would be over Ukraine, that we would see peace, that your hand would be over us in our lives, that we would be at peace with what we have, with what you have given us, with what you are doing in our lives. Would we lean in and ask the question, God, how would you like to overflow in my life? God, you're all that we need. Would you help us to see that? It's in your name we pray. Amen.